Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, why don't we lift up our hands? Come on, lift them up to the one that lifted his for ours. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you. We magnify you. We thank you for today, dear Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands as you're seated? It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Man, all this rain, isn't this crazy? Well, must be the will of God. Amen. A lot of times, hey, I've been taught, a lot of times what you see in the natural is a reflection of what's going on in the spirit realm. And I just want to say, hey, God's raining down on us. He's raining out his spirit. He's poured upon all flesh. For whosoever will. Praise God. Amen. Brother Sergeant, he always has the right perspective. I got two sets of glasses here. I'm in between prescriptions, and this is going to be a challenge today. These don't work that great, and those are magnifiers, and I can't keep those on the whole time, but uh, we'll, we'll get through it. Amen. But uh, Brother Sergeant always has the right perspective. On a rainy day, he says, man, just sit back and enjoy that liquid sunshine. Right, Brother Sergeant? It's liquid sunshine. Amen. But it is good to be here. Uh, as mentioned, uh, we have part of our team gone today. Uh, starting from the top, our pastor, Brother Bayo, and our first lady, and Jordan. And hey, these guys did a great job. Didn't Ryan and Kyle and all the. God bless Brother Ryan. Thank God for talented people. Appreciate them. Amen. And so it has befallen me to bring the word today. And uh, hey, in the natural, I have bigger feet than pastor. But he has a lot bigger shoes for me to fill. So, <laughs> and so I'm, not, I'm not even going to try to fill his shoes. He may be like five foot eight or nine, ten, but he wears in the spirit like size 18 shoes. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Praise God. But uh, I'm just going to wear my shoes today and do the best I can. And uh, it's going to be different today. Are, are you along with the ride? For the ride? Amen. Brother Chris says he'd never heard me preach before. And I said, I look back to Brother Jordan. I said, well, I don't think I'm going to preach today. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like teaching today. I just want to talk to you. Man, I love this church. I love you. And it was seven years ago. Brother Chris says, how long have you been here? I said, bro, it's this weekend. This weekend, seven years ago. It's not God's number, his perfect number of completion. Also, it must be my year of jubilee. Praise God. But seven years ago, amen, we made our way up here. And uh, God has done great things. Um, when we came here, it was my wife, Jordan, and uh, Jazzy. And my son, Kyle, and Devin were back in Nashville. And I, Kyle was in that box. Hold out that box, brother. You remember that? You remember that? That was our revival with Brother Cox. How many were here? How many had names in that box? 
Amen. I had those boys in there. And it was a fight and it was a battle. But God won and look where he's at today. And he doesn't like this attention. I know he hates it. But uh, I love him. God is doing great things. That last song that we had sung today, some of you know this because I've told you, but Every Day was written by Kyle when he was 15 years old, my son Devin, and at then our minister of music at the Rock Church, Ben Vandiver. Those three boys, or Ben Vandiver's a young man, these guys were boys, wrote that song that we sang today. And he's still writing today. Amen. God's good, isn't he? Let me tell you something. God's never finished. Don't give up on your kids. When it seems impossible and you think like there's no way that they can make it back home, your lost mother, your lost father, don't ever give up. God doesn't give her up. You may have forgotten about those urgent prayers of years past, but God still hears them clearly today. And he hears them just as urgent as the day that you prayed them. And he says, I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten. And I work all things together for good. Hallelujah. So God is good. Amen. But I want to talk to you today. Is that all right? I feel to teach. We may preach, whatever. I just want to do the Lord's will today. I love this church. And God is taking us. And there's a lot of us that have talked about it. You know, we didn't just leave a building to come just enlarge our tents and us be us for no more. But God has elevated us and is taking us to another dimension, another level in Him. And with other dimensions and other levels, there comes more responsibility and accountability from the body. And I never forget pastor preaching and mentioning it that God spoke to him a long time ago and he says, this church will go and will grow as far as I grow. As far as he was willing to let God stretch him. And that's how it is in your life and my life. God's not going to make you, but he's going to prod you and he's going to say, are you willing to stretch? Are you willing to grow? And that's what it's about today. I want to grow today. Do you want to grow? Hallelujah. So your problem, what I got here today, well, you're going to, you'll see in just a moment. These are, as I told you, I feel like teaching today, and these are my props. So we're in Sunday school today. How many love Sunday school? But I love my pastor, and let's remember him in prayer. I appreciate his, his trust in me to, to, to carry the torch today, but... Uh, Let's get into it. Let's just see what God has. You know, it was approximately 1987. I was about 17 years old. And I had only been serving the Lord back in church for no more than a couple years. And my home church was a little church out in the country, rural area, town of Loomis, California. Ever hear of Loomis, California? It's about 45 minutes north of Sacramento. And I had prayed back through at 15 years old, a month before my 16th birthday. Thank God for grandmas and thank God 
for grandparents. I had a burden for their, their grandchildren, especially me. And I'd gone to church with no intentions of serving God, no intentions of making a commitment to God, but I went to see Grandma. But my grandma and Jesus had a different plan, and I prayed back through. I'll never forget it. And God turned my life around. I had a radical transformation. It was never the same again. And uh, like I said, I was 17. A couple years later, I had been in church, and I was so excited for the upcoming youth service. And we had a special speaker that evening. And prior to him coming, we, were, we made up flyers uh, announcing this service, and we were posting them all over town, Brother Chris. And uh, I was excited because of the, the guy that was preaching was different. He was radical. It was a heavy metal, ex-heavy metal rock star with long bleached hair and we had the before picture and we had the after and we were posting in big old flyers all over and doing outreach and I remember sitting on that front row the very front, front row and I had brought some friends from my local high school I had brought one guy that was a heavy meddler from my, from my high school that I thought could identify with the one speaking and then I brought, I brought a punk rocker and then I brought a little vato so I was covering it at all I wanted them to see and hear this guy. And... But anyways, I sat on that front row. And you kind of figure out by now who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Reverend Rick Mayo and Sister Mayo. He had just started preaching. He hadn't even started evangelizing yet, but he had started preaching. And I've told you stories where we used to love to go because we were about 45 minutes from the Rock Church. And we heard about this wild man. Um, that had given his life to Christ. He was a, a cocaine addict, a drug addict, and alcoholic, and you know he was just radical. And I used to love and go and and uh, watch him in services. And man, that guy would bounce off the walls. He would climb the ceiling and bite the chandeliers, and <laughs> kind of, sorta. But this service, that man had come to our church. But little did I know, I wouldn't have thought it in a million years, Brother Chris, as I sat on that front row, that I was sitting before the man that 35 years later, he would be my pastor. And I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that either. But here we are today, and look what the Lord has done. It's been seven years, and now that, that new evangelist, that new preacher then, is now a, now a seasoned warrior. And, and we are here today, working side by side, laboring with them. You know, things like this just don't happen every, everywhere. What you're experiencing today, what you're sitting in today, and what you're a part of, I wish it would, but it doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't happen everywhere. We're blessed with, with our leadership. You know, I read a study some years back about pastoral statistics, and they ran some numbers, and they came up with these numbers and they said that 90% of pastors work on average 55 to 75 hours a week. They also said that 50% of pastors feel unable to meet the demands of the job. And they also said that 70% of pastors fight depression. Imagine that. I can understand that. It said actually 50% would leave the ministry if they could. 
amazing. It says 50% starting out will not last past five years. And 60 to 80% of pastors who enter the ministry will not be there in 10 years. And only one in 10 will retire and make it all the way to retirement as a minister in some form. But not our pastor, not the leadership here, not our pastor's wife. They are a rare breed, part of the faithful few that counted the cost and settled the call of God a long time ago and have stayed the course to where we're at today. You ought to thank God for that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You ought to thank God for that. You see, Pastor and Sister Mayo have over 31 years of ministry. Three years of that was evangelizing, and the majority of that 28 years was pastoring. And I was trying to figure out how long they've been married. I think it's 34, 35 years, something like that. Anybody know out there? But, But 34, 35 years of faithful marriage. So when I look at them and I think of their life and their ministry, it makes me think of words like, Stability, a sound structure, a safe and a secure house that has stood the test of time. As mentioned, I said, accomplishments like this don't happen overnight. It had to be cultivated. It had to be constructed. Say constructed. That's an important word today. Oh, come on. Let's all say constructed. Fine, let's go. and built up over years of commitment and dedication to a blueprint and a master plan. Everybody say blueprint. Blueprint. Amen. You see, they were a strong family that felt a call to reproduce strong families because they believed that strong family units or houses, if you will, are what build and establish strong churches. Amen. I want to be a part of a strong church. This is a strong church, but it just doesn't happen. It starts with a man of God that has a call and a woman of God, but they can't do it alone. But it takes strong families, family units, strong houses to build strong churches. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about preserving the house. You see, speaking of houses, we're living in a day where there are all types of houses. There are entertainment houses. There are concert houses. There are movie houses. There are clubhouses. There are drug houses. Have these been some of your houses? They were some of my houses. Don't be ashamed. Come on. You can't forget where God has brought you from. Amen. There are houses of ill repute. There are stadium houses, there are Broadway houses, there are worship houses. And a lot of those houses I mentioned prior to that, those are forms of worship houses. They're just worshiping the wrong thing. And they're church houses, and they're houses that we call our home. You see, houses are a big deal. I want to talk about the importance of a house. If you look up the definition of house, you'll find that it says a building for human habitation. It's a dwelling place, a shelter. It's a refuge. Houses were so important that the Bible over 2,000 times makes references to houses, to homes, to habitations, to dwellings, etc. You see, ever since God has had a people, he planned for them to have a habitation, a place of safety and rest. A foreordained, or he foreordained they, 
that they would have a house. Can you say house today? You see, God spoke through the prophets in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, 11, and 16. He says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. The prophet Isaiah in 32, 18, it says, And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, in assured dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Are you thankful for your house today? Not just this house, but are you thankful for your individual house? Amen. You may think it's not much, but it's a house. You have four walls. You have a roof over your head. That's a lot more than a lot of people in this world have. I'm thankful for a house. I'm thankful for God's blessings of a house. I'm thankful for the safety of a house. You ought to be thankful. Amen. Amen. There's another biblical context of a house I want to talk about. Many times in the Bible, a house is referred to a group of people, or a family unit. All throughout the Old and New Testament, God referred to his people as the house of Israel. As a matter of fact, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, it says that Jesus was sent to the lost house of Israel. Amen. And then I'm reminded of a house that Joshua mentions, Joshua has stepped on the scene. He has succeeded Moses. Moses has passed on. Joshua has taken him to the promised land. And there were times that Joshua had to gather the people together and remind them where God has brought them from. They would slip by the wayside. They would pick up the old gods that were on the other side of the river. Or they took them from the Amorites whose land that they were dwelling at the time and They would pick up those old habits. Isn't it amazing that all that God did for them and delivered them out of Egypt and brought them to a new place, a new house, if you will, they forgot about the God of the house. And once again, Joshua had to remind him, and he said in chapter 24 and verse 15, he says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, can you say house today? We will serve the Lord. Amen. And I think of another man in the New Testament by the name of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. It was talking about his children. It was talking about the family structure. It says he feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So the house in this context is extremely important to God. A house in this context is important to the church. The house in this context is important to God's kingdom. Do you believe it? It would be so important that Christ would literally lay down his life and give his life's blood for the house. Are you thankful for the blood that he shed for your house today? You ought to give thanks to God this morning. 
Why don't we lift up our hands? Thank you, God, for dying for my house. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing my house. Amen. Amen. But let's make it a little more granular. Let's break it down a little further and get a little personal. Because the Bible talks about another house. You see, we as individuals are the present-day house of God. 1 Peter 2 and 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 through 20 says, What know ye not that your temple or this house, your body, I should say, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore, therefore glorify God in your body. Therefore glorify God in your house, amen, and in your spirit, which are God's, amen. John 14 and 17 says this. Even the spirit of truth, let me tell you something. This is powerful, this scripture here in John chapter 14. Jesus was getting ready to be offered up. And he's preparing his disciples. They're having the Last Supper. And he's preparing them. Because let me, let me tell you something. If this is your first time at a Pentecostal church, we're a little different. You see, Jesus, we believe that when Jesus comes into this house, something supernatural happens. You see, there's a difference between having Jesus with you. Because there's a lot of good people out there, Brother Chris, that are good people that I love. And they have a relationship with the Lord. And they have God with them, but they don't have the revelation of God in them. And so Jesus was sitting down preparing his disciples. And he said in John chapter 14, verse 17, he says, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, and neither knoweth him. He says, but you know him. He was talking about himself. He says, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you. And shall be in you. If you're going to be the true house of God, something's got to reside within you. Amen? How many are thankful for the baptism of the Holy Ghost? I remember reading that, breaking it down years ago and reading it in the original writings. And when he says that, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, that word with actually is from a Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I just look up the easy way, and, and find out that word, and it, it, it's P-A-R-I, or P-A-R-A, I think, para, I, I'm probably not even pronouncing it right, but it says, for he dwelleth with you, that word with actually means alongside, and so what he was telling his disciples is that, you know, right now you have me alongside you, I'm right there with you, but someday I'm going to be in you, Amen. Someday I'm going to dwell within that house, amen, because you're going to need me not just beside you, but you're going to need me in the house, amen. Do you remember the day when he wasn't in the house? Brother Leon, do you remember when he wasn't in your house? I'm talking about this house, but you yielded to him and you let him possess this house, amen. I need him in the house today. So this is the house. 2 Corinthians says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In this house is what he was talking about. You see, our individual house is important to God's kingdom. 
We are living in a time where the enemy and society and the political agenda have unleashed demonic, a demonic onslaught to deconstruct the God-ordained family unit. They're coming, they're trying, they're trying to destruct the house, if you will. You see, fatherlessness abounds and divorce has skyrocketed. And I don't have time to go in and share all those statistics, but it's all to cause a spiritual erosion to your fabric and the foundation of your house. Come on. There's an enemy. Don't be foolish. The Bible says be sober and be vigilant and be watchful. For there's an enemy. There's an adversary. Amen. But I tell you what, you're in the house. You're in God's house. Praise God. You see, God's nuclear family structure are being shaken and under attack. But God is allowing this. Sometimes God fulfills his will. And it's the purpose of God to allow you to be shaken. You see, Paul said it like this in Hebrews chapter 12 and 27. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Jesus allows the shaking in your life. He wants to know, will your house stand the test of time? Come on, folks, don't give up and be weary and well-doing. Come on. Hang in there, Brother Charles. Come on. Amen. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but houses are being shaken. I began to think and prepare this. Sir, I began to think about a lot of people out there building houses, and I'm not talking about physical houses. There's a lot of people building houses out there. They're building their family units, and they're building these in the spirit, these, these huge mansions, as it appears on the outside, huge edifices. And they're constructing them at light speed and paying no attention to detail. On the outside, from the surface up, it looks pretty impressive. They appear to have it all together. And many have opinions of, of how construction should be done. And they try to tell you how to build your house. But I've noticed that they're cutting a lot of corners and they're leaving out integral building blocks. I want you to say that, building blocks. They're using inferior building materials and they're saying some things just don't matter anymore. Have you had someone tell you that? Some things just don't matter anymore. You see those principles and convictions that you're building your house upon? They try to tell us that they're outdated, that they're old-fashioned. But man, they used to sing that song, give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. What? It's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. If it's good for Paul and Silas, then it's good enough for me. And then they used to sing, it will take us all to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. It's good enough for me. Is this old-time religion good enough for you? Come on. You ought to be thankful for that old-time religion. But they're saying it just doesn't matter anymore. And you know, I'm not a novice here. I I feel young, and I don't feel like I'm 52, and I don't feel like I've been married for 33 years. uh, You know, when you get married at 12, 33 years is easy to get to. (laughs) Well, I wasn't quite that. But... I was 19. My wife was 17. 
Man, I'll never let my kids get married that young. But she was from Brother Terry and Brother Frost Church. Those, those girls marry young over there. But anyways, 33 years. So, so I'm not a novice when it comes to that. And that's not bragging. But I learned a long time ago from a wise master builder that time will always tell the tale. So when you see people and you think they got it all together and, and maybe they don't have the convictions that you have and it seems like they're prospering and they're building these big houses and mansions naturally and spiritually and you think maybe, maybe they're right, time will always tell the tale. Time will always tell the tale because I've seen my fair share of friends that have chosen to walk away and choose altered alternative methods to building their family units and their houses and the construction of their lives only to see them and their lives wasted and their marriages ripped apart and their houses in shambles. You see, before you start framing up huge mansions, there are some crucial things you must have in place that are integral to the life and the longevity of your house. I want my house to last not my physical house, not the one that I'm remodeling right now. I want this, first of all, this house to make it. I want it to make it through this life and the storms of life. I want my family unit to make it. I want that house to live on streets of gold. Well, I haven't given you the title today, have I? You got that for me, my brother? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. Ye are called, or ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, a wise master builder. A master builder is an architect or it's a superintendent. Paul says, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. What Paul was saying when he says take heed, he's saying, pay attention to how you're building your house. Pay attention to the foundation you're building upon. So today, for the rest of this service, I want to talk to you about take heed to how you build. Take heed to how you build. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. That's the point of the shaking. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive his reward. Are you in it for the reward? Are you in it to win it today? Come on. Are you in it to make it to the end? Take heed to how you build and I began to think about a story I heard about a skyscraper that was being built in Atlanta at the time, and it was the tallest building to be erected in Atlanta, and it was supposed to be 70-story high, and uh, these two boys were excited. They asked their dad, Dad, can we go to Atlanta where they're, they're getting ready to build it, and, and can we look and see and be there for the groundbreaking? And his dad said, yeah, let's go do it. And so the day came, and they arrived on the scene to bulldozers, clearing the site, and then they went up to the viewing. They had a viewing area that had an architectural rending of the 70-story completed structure, and wow, what a sight it was to behold in its finished state. 
And then they went home, and then for week after week, their dad would bring them to the building site. And so they would trek to the site, watching all the trucks and haul away dirt and debris while other trucks delivered steel girders and building materials. And then the next week, they, they would come, and the same thing would happen. The, hot, the trucks would dig a deeper hole, and they would take away the dirt and, and bring more instruct, or, or structures and girders. And, and week after week, they were doing this. All they were doing was digging a hole. And the kids were getting frustrated. And so once again, they went there. And after several weeks of seeing this and all that existed was a large, muddy hole. One of the boys, finally out of frustration, said, Dad, when are they going to start working on the building? And right about that time, the father saw an approaching worker, superintendent, with a set of plans under his arm. And his, the dad inquired and says, Can you give us some idea when the building is going to happen? And with a chuckle, the superintendent says, it's hard to believe it, he said, but this hole is the most important part of the building. We have to dig down several hundreds of feet and build a solid, everybody say solid, foundation to support a structure that's over 70 stories tall. It will take several months to pour concrete and sink the steel pillars, but then we'll start going up. And once we start, it will rise pretty fast. There's a lesson to be learned there, folks. You see, your, your initial salvation experience is just the beginning. When you came to God and he filled your house, amen, and you were born again, it didn't end there. That initial salvation experience was just the beginning of a crucial process that demands time and attention to detail for your house to last a lifetime. So take heed, church, how you build today. Amen. The Bible compares the formation of a Christian life with that of constructing a house. Like building a natural house, there are construction phases. I'm no constructor. I'm not speaking as a professional here. This is what I observed as, as I look at life. And first and foremost, that you got to get right is the laying of a foundation. You see, the success of our spiritual growth and integrity of our spiritual house are determined by the strength of our spiritual foundation. It may seem like a simple part of the overall construction process, but getting the foundation right is incredibly important. The Greek philosopher, how many have heard of Plato? Noah, you've heard of Plato. Not the kind you play with, not the ones you mold, but Plato, the philosopher. Yeah, he probably knows about that. He goes to a pretty fancy school, private school. He's learning Latin, my goodness. He's a Bible quizzer. Give that boy a hand. Praise God. He's building his foundation. Amen. But Plato said this, the beginning is the most important part of the work. So goes your life. The beginning of your walk with God, your salvation experience, is the most important part of your spiritual house. So the foundation, what is it? It's the basis or groundwork of everything. The natural or prepared ground or base on which some structure rests. It's the lowest division of a building or wall or like of masonry and partly or wholly below the structure of the ground. You see, everything goes on top of the foundation. That's why it's so important. A solid foundation, it anchors all that follows. You see, the foundation sets the parameter and the directions for all that follow. 
And when a foundation is plumb and level, everything that goes on top will be simpler to install. The biggest reason for getting the foundation right is because any mistakes you make in the foundation will only get worse as you go up. And I'm sure if we had time today and I had Brother Lowell come up here or Brother Sessions and said, you ever work on a house that the foundation was out of square and it was out of level? Your house don't come together very well, does it, Brother Sessions? If you don't take care of that when you get to the framing part and you get up to the roof, you think you can make it up in the framing and do all this and that. And what was once only an inch down here is now what? I don't know. Multiple inches out there and your roof doesn't meet together. And even your grandma, who can't even see, knows it's, something's wrong with that. So in order to build right and for everything to fit together and dovetail together, it's got to be plumb. It's got to be level. It's got to be right. Amen. But because you, you got to prepare. Luke, Luke 6 and 47 through 49 says this. Jesus describes it like this. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to him. He is like what he's like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Take heed to how you build, church. I want you to notice to something. I don't believe it was two different geographical locations that these men built their houses. For all... I think they could have been neighbors. They encountered the same storm. They were in the same place. They both had the same opportunity to build a house that would sustain and last through the storm. But one didn't take the time to dig down deep. The other one dug down deep. And what did he build upon, Brother Isaac? He built upon a rock. But the other one didn't take the time. I didn't have time today because there's a lot of material. I was going to read the three little pigs to you today. I thought the three little pigs would preach today. Maybe we could have just read that and went home. How many know the story of the three little pigs? So the one that built on the sand, his house did not last through the storm. You see, Psalms 11.3 says, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's all in how you build, church. Take heed. And I'm, I'm purposely being redundant today. Take heed to how you build. If you don't remember a word I said or anything else of this message, you're going to remember. He said, all he said was take heed to build. Take heed to how you build. Amen. 1 Chronicles 28 and 10 through 11 and 19 says, Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern. Everybody say pattern. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writings by his hand upon me. Even all the works of this pattern. Psalms 127 and 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Amen. You've got to partner up with the Lord in building your house, folks. 
you got to lean upon him and his pattern and his instructions. Amen. But I want to talk to you about the foundation today. I want to talk to you about some crucial building blocks that we all, and these are simple. These are things that you know about. But I lived life long enough that the simple things don't always get done. But the simple things are very important. We're always looking for the supernatural, extraordinary to build our life on. But it's the everyday simple things, Brother Chris, things that we lay in our foundation that really strengthen the house. I think of that, it's, it's, I was thinking that word extraordinary. It's, it's doing, those that are, that are extraordinarily successful and do extraordinary things, it's because they always do the ordinary and then a little extra. They do the simple things over and over again, and then they do a little extra. And that's why they're extraordinary. And I believe this church is filled with extraordinary people. Amen. I believe the leadership here is extraordinary. Amen. But in getting that, I want to give you some building blocks. And the very first thing that you've got to have in your foundation, the very first stone that is laid has got to be Jesus. You see in Ephesians chapter 2, 19, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household. Everybody say household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the prophets and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus you got to have Jesus, folks. you got to know Jesus. I learned a long time ago from my pastor, Sam Cagle, as a teenager. I remember a story he used to tell. He used to travel every year. He'd take in his motor home and go across the United States. And he was, when he went on vacation, his witness didn't go on vacation. He was a Christian everywhere he went. When we go on vacation, I wasn't, this wasn't in my notes. When we go on vacation, we don't lose our convictions, Brother Chris. We don't lose our principles. We're to be the same, amen, wherever we go. And he was always a witness wherever he went, and he would park in these RV parks and get to know the people around him, and they would barbecue together. And he met a guy, I don't know if his name, let's just call him Bill. And he began to befriend Bill, and they would have a great time. And I remember him telling, Bill asked him, well, what do you do? And Brother Kago says, well, I'm a preacher. And then Bill goes, well, I don't believe in organized religion. Ever, ever get that? I don't believe in organized religion. And so, Bill, getting ready to possibly get in a debate with, with my pastor, was waiting for him to combat that and maybe defend organized religion. But my pastor was a pretty witty old guy, and he says, you know what, Bill? I don't believe in organized religion either. He says, what I believe in, Bill, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's going to get you from this life to that life. Amen? you got to have Jesus. 
You've got to have a personal relationship. You've got to know him. Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. You've got to have a personal relationship. But he's got to be first in your life. It's got to be Jesus first in your life. He's got to be the first stone. He's got to be, the, as the Bible says, the cornerstone laid. Because the cornerstone is the first stone that determines the position of the entire structure. It's the cornerstone that sets the precise angles, the lines, and the parameters for all other stones to be laid. You see, the cornerstone was the standard for the bearing of the beams and the walls in the construction of the entire building. It's in Jesus that we live and we move and we have our being. He's got to be first, church. Amen. Are you with me? I'm reminded of that old song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You ought to thank God right now. Hallelujah. For your relationship. Personal relationship with him. Your next stone has got to be the word of God. Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, wasn't it? You got to have truth. The word of God is the pattern. It's where we get the principles. Amen. Proverbs 23 and 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Amen. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete. That's what that word means. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, God wants to thoroughly furnish your house. He wants to furnish this house. But he's got to be first. And then his word has to be dear to your heart. Because the word is what gives you instruction, as we said. It gives you correction. It gives you reproof. And I'm going through these quickly because uh, I don't want to lose your attention. And I got a lot of stones in here. But every man, woman, and child needs to have a shepherd. Do you believe it? What is a shepherd? He's your pastor. Amen. How many are thankful? Come on, for your pastor. Everybody needs a man of God. I've had some friends that I told you have left and tried to build their own houses because they didn't like a man of God in their life telling them what to do. They didn't want advice from the man of God. You're not always going to agree with your man of God. You're not always going to agree with the shepherd. The shepherd is also known as what? A watchman. And a watchman doesn't watch from below, but he watches from an elevated position. A lot of times the watchman or the shepherd can see things that you and I don't see. Why? Because our vision is limited because we're looking this way and he's up here. Amen. We need a shepherd in our life. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you 
with knowledge and understanding. The Bible calls pastors gifts. Did you know that? In Ephesians 4 and 8, it says, And gave gifts unto men, and he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, not to rule over you and beat you down, but it said, the rest of the scripture says, for the perfecting of the saints. You got to have a pastor in your foundation, folks. You got to have a man of God that you may be perfected, that you may be complete. Amen. It says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Amen. Thank God for a pastor. Take heed how you build today, church. Amen. Amen. You got to have love. Do you believe in love? Love, 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 sweet love, or something. Is that what the song says? But you got to love your God. You got to love your family. You got to love people. You got to love your enemies. Did you know the Bible said that? Our natural inclination is to hate our enemies. But the Bible says, love your enemies. Amen. Those that despitefully use you and all those things that it says in that scripture. You got to have love. The Bible says in Luke 18 that men ought to, oops, I just skipped that. I'm sorry. That's the next stone. Let me, John 15, 12 through 13 says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Amen. Jesus said unto him, that, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. There's so many scriptures on love that we don't have time to go into. I'm thinking of this one, though. It's instruction for us men. It says, men, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Amen. We've got to love our families, church. And somewhere in the building, your foundation, you've got to get the revelation of prayer. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that men ought to pray always. James 5 and 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Philippians 4, 6, be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known, made known unto God. I'll never forget, and I've told you, church, this before. After reading Verbal Bean's book, prayer was so important. And he said this, when I pray more, I want less of this world. If you're struggling in that area, if you're so consumed with materialism and things of this world, more than likely you're not praying like you should. I want less of this world, and I want more of him, amen. amen. Do you want more of Jesus? Amen. You gotta have the stone of prayer in your foundation. You see, prayer doesn't always, always change my circumstances as much as it changes me. Prayer isn't always about changing your circumstance. It's about changing you so you can get through your circumstance. Do you believe that? you got to have prayer in your foundation. Amen. And with your prayer, you need to, you need to lay down this stone. You've got to have 
What's that say? It says, it says praise and worship. I love that song. Praise is not just what I do. Praise is who I am. I was made to praise him. I was made to worship him. Psalms 34 and 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We got to praise him. I learned a long time ago from a wise master builder that my praise is never contingent upon my circumstance. My praise is not always dependent upon my happiness. As they say, happiness is based upon certain happenings. Amen? But you can always have joy. Amen. You can always have joy. You can always praise him. You can always worship him. You praise him for his mighty acts. You worship him for who he is. You get to know Jesus a lot better and a lot more when you praise him and when you worship him. If you don't have praise and worship in your foundation, you're going to have a crack. You're going to have a weakness. It's going to be out of kilter. Amen. Is this all right? Liquid sunshine, you hear that? You hear all that? I thought it was the air conditioning system. It wasn't. You got to have faith, folks. You got to have faith. My Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 of that same chapter says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of what? Those that diligently seek him. That diligently seek him. You got to have faith, folks. And I'm so thankful. You may feel like, man, I don't got any faith. Well, the Bible says he's given a measure of faith to every man. He's given you a little to start with. And I learned from a wise master builder. Not Bob the builder. A wise master builder my pastors, that faith, listen to me, faith is like a muscle. The more that you work the natural muscle, except mine, don't seem to, don't seem to grow much, Brother Chris. And you're getting so skinny, you and I need to go work on our muscles. I was going to loan you my suits, but I don't think you can fit in my suits anymore. Amen. You love Brother Chris? Amen. But faith is like a muscle. The more you work it, the more it increases. Amen. Man, I learned a long time ago, I was reading this scripture, and I I was preaching on faith, and it blew my mind. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, substance is something that's tangible, isn't it? You know, to the world, faith is just like hope. It's like, oh, maybe it'll happen, maybe. But faith is substance to the believer. And you got to have it in your foundation, Brother Chris. When you look up that word substance in that scripture, you go read it. That word substance comes from a Greek word that I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's, it, I look at, it looks like it says hupostasos. And that word actually means in the Greek substructure, it means foundation, it means something that you can actually stand on. So when the writer wrote this, he was saying, faith is a substructure, faith is a foundation of things hoped for, it is the evidence of things. Evidence is what? It's proof, 
It's facts. It's something that you can base a conclusion upon. It's got to be a part of your house. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So when Peter, and I think of Peter, when he got on the boat, remember he was out, on the, out in the storm on the boat, and he said, they saw Jesus out. They said, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come. Right, Brother Clark? And Jesus said, come. And you thought, you know, and then Peter stepped out. I wonder if I can do that today. Think I can, you think I'll fall? Well, we'll save it for another time. Anyways, but when Peter stepped out, Brother Clark, he stepped out on hupostasos. He was walking on water, but that water somehow became a foundation. It became a substructure, amen, that he stood on, amen. The man walked on water. He walked on faith. Faith was in the house that day. Faith has got to be on your, on your foundation, amen. And along with faith, oh, my goodness, we're getting them down here today. We got to talk about faithfulness. Is faithfulness important, Brother Sergeant? I look at Brother Sergeant and I see faithfulness. I look at Sister Sergeant, I see faithfulness. I, I look at Brother Sessions, oh boy, you were faithful through it all. Look at this. Look at this. You were faithful. These are wonderful men, but we got to be faithful. It's a huge part of your foundation. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, I learned in the business world that 80% of being successful is just showing up. Have you heard that term? It goes the same with your, your Christian walk. I believe 80% of the battle is just you showing up, just being faithful. You keep coming when you don't feel like it. When you're depressed, you keep coming. When you're sad, you keep coming. When you're on the mountaintop, you keep coming. When you're in the valley, you keep coming. Why? It's because we're faithful. Faithfulness is what we do. Amen. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, amen. We've got to gather together. We've got to be faithful, not just to the house of God. We've got to be faithful in our homes and on our jobs. Hallelujah, amen. Another thing that you've got to put in that foundation is you've got to put trust, amen. You've got to trust the process. We're all going through a process, amen. But my Bible says if you trust the process, he works all things together for the good. But you've got to trust through the process. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Brother Leon, I think you mentioned that yesterday in men's prayer. Trust in the Lord. What? With all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And then it says he'll direct your paths. Everybody wants their paths directed, right? Everybody wants to know where the Lord's taking them. But in order to get that promise at the end of that scripture, you've got to trust him. You got to trust him. Amen. This can be a hard one. This can be really hard. But if it's not in your foundation, it's going to come back to haunt you. Forgiveness. You got to learn to forgive those that despitefully use you, that hurts you. Many times it's your brother and your sisters. Oh, how many have been wounded? The Bible talks about it. You remember that scripture that David talks about? He had been betrayed and he had been wounded so severely. And he says, you know, if it was my enemy, I could have bore it. He says, but it was one that I walked to church and we had sweet fellowship. And it cut him. Amen. And there's times like that in your walk that you're going to get offended. 
you're going to get hurt. But if you're going to be Christian, if you're going to make it, if your house is going to stand the test of time and it's going to stand through the storm, you got to learn to forgive. I never forgot I was wounded deeply. I was hurt. My uncle was my pastor at the time. He had succeeded Sam Cagle that I talked about earlier. And I was wounded. I remember standing in his doorway and he looked at me and he goes, you got two decisions to make. He says, you can choose not to forgive or you can forgive. He says, but if you choose to forgive, then you got to let it go. Mm. I feel like I'm talking to someone and I maybe hold on some bitterness or this morning I should say. Maybe some of you are struggling with this. But I tell you folks, if you want to be forgiven, as pastor says, it's self-regulated. It's self-regulated. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. Oh, my goodness. It's not even a question of whether I can have forgiveness in there, Brother Jordan. It's not even an option. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in there. We're coming down the home stretch. I could go forever. I, I, I would have bricks for days. I thought about buying the whole pallet, but uh, we would be here forever. But I'm just giving you some key ones. And I promise you, we're, we're coming down. We're down to my last two pages of notes. Amen. But see, I space my notes out. Why? Because then my print is real big because I, I can't see. And so, but this... This is important, folks. Oh, holiness. And you say, why do you say, oh, because some people, when they see holiness, they think, oh, oh, oh. It shouldn't be that way. Automatically, when I said holiness, there are some of you that went to a list of rules and regulations, a list of do's and don'ts, and I feel sorry for you. I'm not being sarcastic. I feel so sorry for you. I like Brother Lowell, and you were raised under his ministry, Brother Paul Price, one of the greatest Christians and men of God that ever walked the face of the earth. He was a special man. And I remember at youth convention, he was preaching, and I was just a teenager, and he was preaching about holiness and standards and the negative connotation that people give to it, even people in the church. And he says, you know what? I love Jesus so much, I don't look at him that way. I don't even call them standards is what he was saying. I don't call them do's and don'ts. He goes, I love Jesus so much, they're my devotions to him. Didn't he say something like that probably in your church? I remember. They're devotions. You know the word holiness in its essence when you study it and you read it? means separated and dedicated unto him. That's what holiness is. If all you think is, I can't do this, I can't do that, blah, 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 you are selling yourself so short. You are missing out on so much. Amen. Holiness is powerful. 
Holiness is a stone that I gladly stand upon. Holiness I will gladly add to my house. Amen. For the Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness, with, with, without which no man shall see the Lord. You won't see the Lord without holiness. Isaiah said, and an highway shall be there in a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And let me tell you this one thing. You'll never understand holiness without the Holy Ghost. You'll never get the revelation of having holiness in your foundation if you don't have the Holy Ghost. So I get it. If you don't have the Holy Ghost this morning, you don't understand why we do what we do. I understand. But you got to have the Holy Spirit in order for you to have the revelation of holiness. Why don't you clap your hands and thank God for revelation. Yeah, I'm going to put my last two up. There's so much more. Endurance, that's the stick-to-itness. That's the hanging in there. That's tying a knot in the end of the rope while you're dangling over hell or whatever, you know, or your trial and just hanging on in commitment. Brother Sergeant, you and I were talking. Did you talk on commitment to the young marrieds? You told me the Lord was, you were thinking about it. Did you end up talking about that? You know, the Bible says that a man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom. In other words, a man that's not committed, that's double-minded, is not committed. But the Bible says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Make up your mind. It's like the old song, um, settled long ago. Down on my knees, I settled it all. The old timers would sing about it. I settled a long time ago. Now, I'm not perfect. I've fallen. I've messed up. But I never, I never, I made up my mind. I'm not turning back. I'll get back up. The Bible says a just man falls seven times but gets back up again, right? A just man. I think of a just man. I think of a good man, right, Brother Charles? A just man is going to fall, but he gets back up again. My, if you're going to fall, Man, just fall forward. Get back up again. All right? You got to be committed. You got to be in it to win it. When the chips are down, you got to be in it. When everything's good, you got to be in it. And you got to you got to have the endurance. You got to be like Paul says, "Man, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith." Praise God. Matthew 24 and 12 says, "And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold." But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved, praise God. Are you here to endure, folks? Are you in it to win it? Let's all stand.
There's so much more. I wanted to bring my, I mean, you got to have joy in your foundation, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Praise God. i got to have peace in my foundation. you got bricks that you're thinking of right now that you can put in your foundation. Amen. Guys, I want you to bring out those, those things. Are they already out? While we prepared, I got a piano player. We got a little something for each and every one of you in a moment here. Just something simple. It's a reminder. They're going to play some out. When we come down to pray, I want one head of every household. I got about 140 of them, and it's just a little brick facing, and it says, let every man take heed how he buildeth. It's part of that scripture that we talked about, and I want, I want every... Every head of house, and then every person 18 and over, if we do it that way. I know children, you would love to have one of these, but if there's anything left after that, then by all means. But we'll start off with every household and anybody who's 18 and over, even if you're in that household. But I want it to be a constant reminder. Maybe you could stick it on your mantle. Maybe it's not fancy enough. Uh, stick it on, let, let it be a paperweight on your desk. Or how about a doorstop? Just keep it in your house. Put it in your the dash of your car, just to remind you of, of what we talked about today. But in closing, we've got to, uh, we've got to build, as I've been saying, with the storm in mind. You see, storms are going to come <clears throat> that God allows. And my question to you is, Will your house be ready? John said in chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in the world you're going to have tribulation, right? He says, you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But let me tell you this. Storms, everybody say storms. Storms don't destroy homes. They really don't if you're prepared for the storm. But faulty foundations is what destroy homes when hit with a storm. You see, storms of life only reveal what's underneath the structure. It only reveals who we really are and what our houses are really made of and what they're standing or sitting on. I read one time, this is amazing, a quote from Marilyn Monroe. I mean, everybody knows who Marilyn Monroe is. A life that was short-lived and tragically ended. You know, Marilyn Monroe used to be known as Norma Jean. FYI, Norma, Norma Jean or Marilyn Monroe many times was in Pentecostal services. She was exposed to Pentecost, part of Pentecost. What would her life been like? she chose that path rather than Hollywood and stardom and tragically died at 36 years old but before she died she was interviewed and she said this it was, hit me she says my work is the only ground I've ever had to stand on she said to put it bluntly I seem to have a whole superstructure with no foundation 
And then she ended it by saying, but I'm working on the foundation. It's too late. She had this whole superstructure she had built, never thinking about the foundation. Oh, what a foundation she had or started to have at one point, being exposed to what we experience today. Take heed how you build, church. And then I got one more thing, just a few more minutes of your time. How many have heard of the Winchester Mystery House? Raise your hand. They call it the Winchester, not many of you. They call it the Winchester Mystery House. Now it used to be called just the Winchester House. It became famous. Some think it's a haunted house. It's in San Jose, California, but it was owned by Sarah Winchester, who was the widow of William Winchester. How many have heard of the Winchester Rifle? They say it's the, it's the rifle that won the wars, the Civil War, and they even used them and manufactured them in World War I. And, but she was married to the man that owned the Winchester Rifle Company. He tragically died. She first lost her daughter, Annie, I think, and then 10 years later, she lost her husband. She was young, I think, 40 or in her 40s when she had lost her family. And I don't know her religious persuasion. I kind of get an idea, but she sought medians, fortune tellers for advice. And she wanted to get in touch with her husband. She was distraught. She was, she was probably going crazy. And the median says, you know, that, you know, somehow channeled her husband, they say, and, and uh, said that you need to move west. You need to move west. This is the late 1800s, 1884. And you need to build, a, you need to buy property. You need to build a house. And you need to build it bigger and bigger. You need to just keep expanding. Never stop building to appease the spirits that our rifles have taken the lives of people. Pretty crazy, huh? But this is what she was mixed up in. So she moved out west in 1884. She was one of the richest women in the, in the world, and her inheritance was $20 million at that time, which equated to $500 million today. And then she was paid like $1,000 every day, which is equivalent to $26,000 a day. And she still owned half of the company. She was filthy rich. And so she went out to the West in San Jose, California in 1884, and she bought an eight-bedroom farmhouse on 161 acres. And so, like I said, to appease the spirits, she took this eight-bedroom house and started to enlarge it. It was interesting. It said in the articles, in multiple articles, she had no building plan. She had no blueprints. She had no master builders. It was all in her mind how she would construct this house. And on the outside, it looked magnificent. Look it up. It's incredible, the outside. And so she took this eight-bedroom house and she turned it in with no architectural plans into a seven-story building or house. It covered 24,000 square feet. It had 40 bedrooms and 13 bathrooms. 
But only one of the bad bathrooms was functioning. Strange. There's a lot of strangeness to this house. She had 47 fireplaces and 17 chimneys and six kitchens. She had 10,000 window panes of glass all throughout this house. She had hundreds of doors, tons of stairways, and it goes on and on. But what was so strange is that when you got into this magnificent house, the house made no sense. It looked good and magnificent. It looked like something successful. It looked like, whoa, they got it going on here, Brother Chris. But when you went into the house, they would have stairways that would lead straight to the ceiling and go nowhere. They would have doors that you would open and would open up to a brick wall. They would have other doors that you would open up and if you stepped out, you would fall two, three, four stories. The stairways would be like all different sizes of steps. No consistency. All this crazy madness. She had secret compartments and hidden ways and, and, and rooms within rooms. And it was unbelievable. It didn't make sense. But on the outside, it sure looked good. Reminds me a lot of people that I started this walk out with. People I told you about that I started this Christian walk with that went another way. Said, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to build this way. And it looked good in the beginning, but it made no sense in the end. Look it up. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. One of the things that also stuck out to me is she, she would pay. She had this beautiful, you would go in these rooms and they would have this beautiful stained glass, stained glass that should be out in the open. And one was she had made, it was, I don't know how much it cost, but it was incredible and it was meant to go out. And the way they made this Tiffany stained glass, it was prismatic. And so it was made to put out on an exterior wall where the sun could shine through because you couldn't get the effects of the glass and all the time and effort that went into that beautiful, magnificent work of art, you couldn't really see its reflections and all the prisms that it would, it would cast off once the light would shine through it. But no, it was locked up in a room on just a wall in a closed space and no one knew about it. It never fulfilled its purpose. And that's what the enemy wants to do to you. He promises you big things and it's going to be great and it's going to be grand. And he says, ah, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. But you see, our houses, our homes were to be light to the world. Matthew 5 and 14 through 15 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Why? Why? And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Your individual house, your individual family unit is to be a light to those that are out there and that all that enter into your house. My wife and I pray. We're, we're over here remodeling an old house. But our house on the, the South Hill, when we were there, we prayed, God, all, all that enter, let them see light. Let them feel peace. Let them, let them feel something different. And just like that Tiffany glass that, that, that Sarah Winchester had made that had a purpose but never fulfilled its purpose, we are supposed to be that. We are a reflection 
Amen. Our houses were meant to bring light to a dark world. Our houses were to be a reflection on earth of the world to come. Amen. But it all starts right there. I want you to come this morning. We're going to... We're a family. Let's come down together as a family. Let's seek God. Let's get our foundation right. Maybe there's some stones this morning that are missing. Or maybe they've fallen off. Come on, let's take the time to shore up that foundation today. Come on, let's take heed as we build today. Come on, strong. we got to be strong families. We have to have strong houses. Amen. Come on down. Grab one of these. Amen. Hallelujah.